having a little technical difficulty. There we go. Okay. In preparation for the reading and hearing of God's Word, let's take a moment for instruction from the Shorter Catechism, one of the theological doctrinal standards of our denomination. And read it responsively, question number 18. What is sinful about man's fallen condition? The sinfulness of that fallen condition is twofold. First, in what is commonly called original sin, there is the guilt of Adam's first sin with its lack of original righteousness and the corruption of his whole nature. Second are all the specific acts of disobedience that come from original sin. Now let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Our gracious Father, we give you thanks that you have not left us to ourselves But in love and grace and mercy and power, you have called us to be joined to your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in a union of faith by the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you are not a God who is silent, but a God who speaks his word, a God who has preserved his word in human language, in holy scripture, that we might come to know you, the true and living God, by way of your own revelation to us. Help us now, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, to enlighten our minds, to open our hearts, that we may truly receive your word in faith and respond to the glory of your name. Through Christ, our Savior and our King. Amen. Again this morning... We read from Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 16, because it is important to to set this passage in its context in the light of the proclamation of the gospel, and then reading through the entirety remaining of chapter 1. This is the sixth sermon in the series. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are, without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. 
And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. To his name be all honor and praise. Amen. Again today, we are focusing on this portion of Romans 1, beginning at verse 18, which tells us the bad news, the divine diagnosis of the fallen human condition and the divine indictment of all humanity, guilty without excuse. Last Sunday, we focused on chapter 1, verses 24 through 27, which specifically refers to homosexual behavior as evidence of the corrupting and disordering power of sin in fallen humanity. Paul's point there is to show indeed the power of sin and the degree of corruption in fallen humanity. And in these verses, Paul is making the connection between idolatry and immorality. Idolatry is a disordered relationship with God in which fallen humanity worships created things, things within the creation, rather than the creator. And we still do that today in very modern and sophisticated ways. And this idolatry, this disordered relationship with God manifests itself in disordered relationships with fellow humans, even to the degree of the disordered relationships evidenced in homoerotic behavior. But Paul's point in Romans 1 is that homosexual behavior demonstrates the degree and the depths of the corrupting and disordering power of sin, which is in all of us. Let me repeat what I said last Lord's Day. All of Romans 1 including verses 24 through 27, is about all of us. Paul's point in Romans 1 is that the same corrupting power of sin which manifests itself in the lives of some people in homosexual behavior is exactly the same corrupting power within each one of us. We're all 
born that way. That is, with the corruption and the disorderedness, the brokenness, the sinfulness of our fallen human nature. And that's the reason that verses 24 through 27 come to their climactic crescendo in verses 28 through 32, in which Paul lists a number of specific sins and sinful dispositions which cover the gamut of human corruption. All of these things are likewise manifestations of the same sinful nature which gives rise to homosexual behavior. Now, don't misunderstand. That's not to minimize any sin. It is not to dumb down sin to some kind of least common denominator, which, which often happens today, you know, so that you hear someone say, oh, well, you know, we're all sinners, as though that doesn't really matter. It's quite the opposite. This is to show the dreadful corruption which is in all of us. To make his point, Paul refers to God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve to die. That is, we deserve to die eternally under God's judgment because the wages of sin is death. And we know that to be the case because we all have a memory of what God said to Adam, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We know that. That's part of the general revelation of God. That's part of what we know innately. We, we are born with that knowledge. That due to our sinfulness and our specific sins, we deserve God's judgment of death. We know that. That's Paul's point. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. That means that as soon as the egg was fertilized and I was conceived, I was at that very instant corrupted by sin at the core of my being, bent out of shape at the taproot of my personality, inclined toward all evil, opposed to all that is good. I was conceived and brought forth as damaged goods. As the scripture says, dead in trespasses and sins, with a foolish and darkened heart, guilty and without excuse. From the moment of my conception in my mother's womb, there was something radically wrong with all of me. And I can tell you that that sinful corruption has pushed and pulled and inclined me toward a variety of idolatrous and sinful things. I've been, incru- I've been corrupted by impure lusts, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, deceit, gossip, 
insolent, boastful pride, foolishness, and faithlessness. The sinful corruptions listed in verses 29 through 31, they're all in my fallen nature. Some perhaps more prominent, some perhaps more evident than others, but they're all there. I was born that way. And that's no excuse. And that's true for all of us. Even though it might not seem that way on the outside. The Lord willing, next Sunday, Pastor Jonathan, getting into chapter 2, will begin to address how the fallen human nature, listen, manifests itself in pretty good people who clean up pretty well on the outside. Don't let that person be you. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were pretty good people, cleaned up pretty well on the outside. But Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. That's a horrifying image. Don't let that person be you. Turn away from yourself in your own pretty good righteousness and throw yourself upon Jesus Christ and his power of salvation and receive his perfect righteousness through faith In him. That is exactly the point of this passage. This whole chapter. Salvation comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. Because the fact is that we're all born with the same sinful nature. Which suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. And exchanges the truth about God for a lie. We all are born as idolaters whose natural inclination is to worship something other than the true and living God. That same sinful nature with which all of us are born manifests itself in different ways and in differing degrees, in different people, but it's still the same sinful nature. And it is the terminal illness with which we all are born. Sin is the disease. Specific sins are simply the symptoms. Sin is the disease, the terminal disease. Specific sins are simply the symptoms. Now, I've checked this out with my good doctor friend, And he has confirmed that at this very moment, my body is just, oh, my body is covered up with staff. It's all over me. It's just gross. Now, thank the Lord that by the Lord's good providence, my immune system is apparently working pretty well. The bacteria has not taken hold in a a little cut in my fingernail or anywhere else on my body. But I'm just covered up with staff. And so are you. 
And the point is, just because a particular sin has not manifested itself in my life, that doesn't mean that I don't have the bacteria of that sin within me. I checked this out with my good doctor friend too. How many of you have had chicken pox? Well, guess what else you've got right now? Now, thank the Lord it hadn't manifested. Thank the Lord it hadn't broken out. But you've got it. The shingles virus. Even though it hadn't broken out on the external surface of your skin. You got it. The most dreaded word is cancer. Because we fear cancer as a terminal disease. There are various kinds of cancer. Breast cancer, lung cancer, pancreatic cancer, colon cancer. You know, but it, it's, it's all cancer and it's all bad. And my good doctor friend tells me that right now, I've got damaged cells throughout my body, which at any moment, given a certain trigger or environmental circumstance or simply enough time, could mutate into a full-blown cancer cell. We're all born that way. And specific sins are simply symptoms and manifestations of the terminal disease called sin. But the most horrible thing about the fallen human nature is that in our fallenness, we love sin. And we love our sins. It's as though we're addicted to our sins and we just can't get enough. In our fallenness, Turned against God, we are turned in on ourselves. And so verse 28 following says, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They, all humanity, were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and ungodliness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are, note now the present tense verb, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Fifth commandment. Foolish, faithless, heartless, Ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the climactic crescendo of the divine diagnosis of fallen humanity and the summary statement of the divine indictment of all humanity. And the most horrifying judgment is that in our fallenness, in our love of, and our addiction to our sins, God gave us up. There's that terrifying phrase again, indicating that God in His righteous wrath as a just judgment upon our sins, let us have what we wanted more sin. Now this is what has happened to us. This is what has happened to us as members of, in union with, in our commonality with, in our corporate solidarity with, the whole human race in its fall with Adam. 
This is the doctrine of original sin. And you understand this better than you think you do. Let me illustrate. Last night in Baton Rouge, there were more than 100,000 people and thousands of others spread out all over the nation. And some were dressed in purple and gold and some were dressed in red and white indicating their identity with, their union with, their commonality with a particular corporate entity, a football team. And and their happiness and well-being, oh my goodness, depended upon the outcome of that game. And when it was over, some of them celebrated, exclaiming, We won! And some of us despaired, (laughs) groaning, We lost. What happened to those respective teams on the field happened to all those people. It happened to some of you. Depending on your union with, your identity with, your bond with, your commonality with, this team or that, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. Well, that's how it works. Adam fell. And we fell with him. Adam lost. And we lost. We lost. The garden is gone. We live east of Eden. That's the doctrine of original sin. And as members of this fallen humanity, our nature has been corrupted by sin. And in our fallen nature, we love our sins. And in God's righteous wrath and judgment, he has given us fallen humanity up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And the point is that sin is its own punishment. Sin is its own We see how that works itself out very real in very real life. First of all, we must, of course, judge ourselves individually. But think about also how this works itself out in human society. Our nation has lost its collective moral mind. The Supreme Court of the United States is scheduled to hear a case to determine the rights of a teenage female who identifies herself as male to use 
the bathroom designated for males in a Virginia high school. Now, though people suffering from clinical gender dysphoria certainly should be treated respectfully and with compassion, the affirmation of legal rights will bring only more chaos into our culture. This is where suppressing the truth has gotten us. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. In the highest court of the United States of America. Last week, a column appeared in the New York Times entitled, quote, Late-term abortion was the right choice for me, end quote. The author also presumes that it was the right choice for her, quote, little boy because he had a heart defect. And she went on to write, quote, Today I am a better mother because of him, quote, end quote. Because of that little boy whom she and her husband actually named and yet chose to have killed. I read the article, and the article is written in a very passionately, emotionally, evocative, heartfelt, moving way intended to persuade you that she really, really loved her little boy. And I am sure that she herself is persuaded that she did love him. But that, dear friends, is but one example of what Romans 1.21 means when it says that fallen humanity has become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And verse 32, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so her testimony was printed in one of the world's most prestigious newspapers. That's where we are as a nation. God has given the United States of America exactly what we as a collective people want. The two major presidential nominees represent us as a nation very, very well.
And it's all about Romans 1. How did we get to the point in this nation that a presidential nominee could stand before the American people on national television and affirm that she supports the so-called legal right to stick scissors in a baby's skull and suck his or her brains out. Pardon the graphics, but that's what it is. How did we get here? More than 40 years of suppressing the truth. I mean systematically, institutionally, intentionally suppressing the truth that there is a creator. Suppressing the truth that humans, even fallen in sin, still bear the image of the creator. Suppressing the truth that it is an abomination to shed innocent blood. Suppressing the truth that there is a holy and righteous eternal creator to whom we, even we, Americans, are accountable. And to be fair and balanced, the other major nominee is a man who was recorded saying some of the most disgusting and degrading things about his attitude and behaviors toward women. Women created in the image of God. Women created to represent the holy bride of Christ for whom he died. More recently during the campaign, he was recorded speaking very flippantly about the sign and seal of our Savior's crucified body and blood. My little wine, my little cracker. While acknowledging that he doesn't really ask for forgiveness. Claims some kind of religious credentials by boasting of a family Bible. And claims to be Of all things, a Presbyterian. But not a Presbyterian in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church denomination. Well, how did we get here? 50 or 60 years of systematically, institutionally. Yeah, systematically, institutionally, with an agenda of suppressing the truth, exchanging the truth about God for a lie. First of all, in the mainline denominations. Then in the judiciary, the halls of academia, and our own comfortable and apathetic living rooms. 
God has given us, the American people, exactly what we want. Now, we get to choose. And the point is, when you vote according to the dictates of your conscience, don't place any confidence or hope in your candidate. Mark your ballot, breathing a prayer of repentance and begging Almighty God to have mercy upon this nation. Romans 1 is all about all of us. In our union with Adam, we lost. We lost. We lost our blessed relationship with the Creator. We lost our life and fell into a living death. In union with Adam, we are fallen, unrighteous, and without excuse under the wrath of God. But remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes. And in union with Christ, we win. That's it. In union with Jesus Christ, who won the victory. Through faith in Him, we share that victory over sin and death, which He won for us. In union with Christ, through faith in Him, we win. And because He bore the wrath of God against our sins, we're saved from the wrath of God. And because He was smitten for us, we are delivered from the terminal disease of sin by His wounds. We are healed. In union with Christ, our Redeemer, all that we have lost through our fall is restored everlastingly. Life eternal in peace. With God, because in our union with Christ, we receive the very righteousness of Jesus Christ through which we have a right standing with God by His grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. As it is written, He who through faith is righteous shall live and live eternally to God Be the glory. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the word of the gospel, the word of victory. And we are thankful for your gracious invitation to come to Jesus and have our life restored in him. We pray, O Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, your holy word will Renew our minds with your truth and strengthen our souls to live joyfully, gladly, obediently as lights shining in the midst of a dark world to the praise of your glorious grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
In response to the gospel of Jesus,